Alright, so today is Father's Day, and this is one of those days where we celebrate the men who have had a tremendous amount of influence in our lives, um, but we also recognize that today can be a really painful day for some of us. You know, we have perhaps fathers who are no longer with us. Um, maybe it's a, a reminder of the things that were left unsaid, or maybe even things that were said that can't be unsaid. And the reality is that our fathers have a tremendous influence on us, whether we recognize that fact or not. And this morning, what we wanted to do is really kind of dive deep into what the role of a father is. And here's the thing. We cannot begin to underestimate, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. We can't overestimate the influence that fathers have on us. There's, there's some statistics that I found about fatherhood, and I'm not going to do all of them because I have far too many, and I want to be respectful of the child care workers across the street. But fatherless children in the United States, according to the Department of Health and Human Services, are twice as likely to drop out of school as children with a stable father in the home. Um, Something like if 85% of all youths in prison come from fatherless homes, and that's astronomical. And that seems really high to me, but that was according to the um, Department of Justice, so apparently they know a little bit. Um, On the flip side... On the positive side, children with actively involved fathers display less behavior problems in school and are 70% less likely to drop out of school. Another one says that research shows um, that highly involved fathers contribute to increased mental dexterity, meaning that their kids are more able to think outside of the box. Increased empathy towards other people. Less stereotyped sexual roles and more, um, a greater self of self-control and self-confidence. And those are things that are huge in any child's life. And then this is the one that probably, for me at least, stands out the most since I'm a pastor. About a, a decade ago, Focus on the Family did a, a study into the effects of one person in a family coming to know Jesus Christ and then getting, re- and getting connected to a church. And they found that if a child is the first person in a family to come to know Jesus Christ and get connected to a church the family will follow 3.5% of the time. If a mother is the first person in a family to come to know Jesus Christ and then get connected to the church, the family will follow 17% of the time. But if a father is the first to come to know Jesus Christ and get connected to a church, their families will follow 93% of the time. Fathers, we cannot overestimate the influence and the impact that we have on our kids. It is a tremendously huge responsibility and opportunity to speak into our children's lives, to help mold and shape their worldview, to help mold and shape their identity, even to mold and shape their perspective of God. As Justin pointed out earlier, um, you know, in the Lord's Prayer, even Jesus calls us to call God our Father. And so it is natural that we would then look at God through the lens of our earthly fathers for better or for worse. And, and perhaps some of our perspectives, I would guess a whole lot of our perspectives of God are actually influenced less from Scripture and more from our earthly Father's interaction with us. So here is what I'd like to do this morning. There are a tremendous... I mean, when I first started preparing, because I've only been a father for like five years, so I'm still learning, and I know that I'm a newbie in this. As I started preparing... I'm like, what am I going to talk about? And then as I got going, I realized that there is way more here than I could possibly cover in, in you know, 30 minutes. And so I'm going to, the father's provider, father's protector, father, you know, all of those kind of things. I could go on 
over and over the different responsibilities and roles that we play. But I want to focus on two that we don't necessarily spend as much time talking about, but two that are crucial in the proper raising up of of healthy, God-fearing children. The first one, turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book of the Bible. Because it kind of seems fitting that, and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Over the last 10 weeks or so, we've been looking at the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, these kind of covenantal stipulations that God handed down to the Israelite people saying, you will be my people, you will be to me a treasured nation set apart from all of the other nations. But I want you to follow these ten commandments. The first four are going to regulate and protect my relationship with you, our vertical relationship. The last six are going to protect your horizontal relationships with one another. Fast forward about 40 years, the Israelites have been wandering through the wilderness, kind of slowly leading their way to the promised land. Moses, they're right there now on the cusp of the promised land in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Moses recognizes he's not going to enter in with them. And so as their spiritual leader, he decides that he is going to remind them of the covenantal relationship they made with God at Mount Sinai. He's going to remind them of those commandments. And so he begins to go through, in chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, he goes back through those Ten Commandments. He reminds them of the agreements they made with God. Agreements to protect the relationship with him and with one another. And then he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them to your children or impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, your job is to be the the keepers of this spiritual heritage that I've set for you as you're about to enter into this promised land, as you're about to be buffeted with all of the good things and also with the dangers that are going to be here because there are still giants in the land that you're going to need to face. Your children have not seen the ways that I've provided and protected for you. They have not experienced as vividly as you have me providing manna in the morning and quail at night, me leading you with a pillar of cloud in the morning and fire at night. They have not experienced the clothes not wearing out, at least not as vividly as you have. They also haven't experienced the truth of these covenants that I've set with you. They haven't experienced the value and the validity of following them or seen necessarily the devastating effects of murder, of adultery, of of lying to one another of coveting and the effects that it can have on relationships. They haven't seen the truth of that. So it's your role, parents, to pass this down to your children. And in an Israelite community, fathers were not absentee. It wasn't a father's job to go work while the mother's job was simply to raise the children. Although they did work, they played a very instrumental role in raising up and in training their children. A father was very instrumental in teaching his sons and daughters the way they should go. And that same thing is for us. And so the first role that we have as fathers, and and really I can be speaking to both parents, but I'm talking to dads today. The first role that we have, that we sometimes overlook or maybe not don't fully understand, is that we are to be the spiritual and moral guides for our children. The spiritual and moral guide. Think about this for a second. 
There are 168 hours every week. Of that, kids spend what? An hour and a half at church? Maybe if they come on a Wednesday night, three hours at church? But so often, as parents, we almost kind of like offload the responsibility to teach our children their spiritual faith. We offload that onto the youth pastor or onto some youth leader or onto even the pastor. They'll teach them. But the reminder is there are 165 hours left in the week. And we are with our children, especially in their most formational years. That first decade, first 15 years are the most formational for a child's mindset, for their worldview, for their identity, everything. And it is we as parents who have the most influential both impact, but also spend the most amount of time with them. Our youth leaders can talk about Jesus until the cows come home. But at the end of the day, your children come home to you. And they watch you live your life. And so my question to you is, what are they learning? But, but, But I'm getting ahead of myself here. Because the reality is, and the, the Israelites recognize this themselves, you cannot lead where you have not been led already. You can't impart to your children what is not already inside of you. You cannot teach what you have not learned. And so the first kind of challenge I give to myself as well as to us as parents, or those of you who will be parents, is to cultivate your own relationship with God. Because that's going to have an effect on everything. I mean, rather than talking to your kids about God, why don't you start by talking to God about your kids? And then, out of the overflow of your own intimacy, or even more than that, your kids are watching you. What does your life teach them about spending time with God? About stepping out in faith? About being honest and being truthful even when you recognize there's a cost? What does your lifestyle and your actions teach your children about telling the truth, about owning your actions, about being responsible and all those other things? What does your life teach your kids? I've been at this almost five years now and this whole parenting thing and if there's one thing I've learned is that my my sons won't always do what I tell them to do, but they will always follow my example. They're not always going to do what I tell them, but they will follow my lead. I can't tell you how many times I'll be like, Ethan, don't throw balls at at your little brother's head. Ethan, don't shoot your little brother in the face with the dart gun. Ethan, don't hit the plants with the bat. And no, we cannot have ice cream for breakfast. And nine times out of ten, my son goes, but daddy, you just did. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. My boys watch me. And they learn from me. And Kathy is constantly reminding me, Eric, they're only doing it because you just did it. More is caught than taught. And we are the spiritual and moral guides for our kids. Not youth pastors. Thank God that we don't raise our children by ourselves, that we are a part of a community. And one of the reasons, one of the things that's most attractive to me about being a part of Lighthouse is that I know that my sons, Ethan and Grayson, are not being raised solely by Kathy and I. We have a community of people who love my sons and are investing in them and are modeling for them. And this is the kind of church family that we desire because it takes a village. And I'm grateful for this community. But at the end of the day, I cannot expect our youth pastors to be responsible for raising my sons. I cannot expect Danielle 
and the youth leaders that are over there in all of the, you know, all the way of growing up, I cannot expect them to be the spiritual mentors for my sons. That falls upon my shoulders. It falls upon Kathy's shoulders. And I got to tell you, I am so grateful that God has entrusted me with a wife that is, is such a good partner to me. Because if it weren't for her, my sons would be primal by this point. I mean, I'd have to probably go, they'd be rabid, and I would have to go and get them rabies shots on a regular basis. You know, so I'm, I'm grateful that I have a, a partner who really does temper a lot of, uh, of me. And that's the way that God intended it. But our kids are following our lead. And there's this interesting passage in 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul's writing to the Corinthian church says, follow my lead as I follow the lead of Christ. Follow my lead as I follow Christ. And I just, I want to ask us who are parents, can you honestly say that to your kids? Can you say, follow my lead as I'm following Christ? Because if not, perhaps the first place we need to start is with our own relationship with God. Investing there. And, I, and by the way, I'll be the first to say, I need that reminder. This is more for me this morning than for many of you. So just forgive me that I'm just kind of speaking, preaching to myself at this point. We as parents, we as fathers, desperately need to cultivate our own relationship with Jesus Christ. I also want to say, I thank God that he is a, a God of grace and can make up for the shortfall. Because not a single one of us parents perfectly. And I'll be the first to say, I'm an imperfect par- parent. I'm an imperfect husband. I'm setting an imperfect example. And I thank God that he can redeem our mistakes. I thank God that my kids are somewhat forgetful at times. Um, but I think I, I'm just, if it weren't for Jesus, man, I would be a terrible father. So cultivate your own relationship. Have I hammered that one enough? Let's move on to the second one. And this one is one that I think is really important. Not only are we the spiritual and moral guides for our children, the primary guides in their lives, but we are also the ones that name our children. Let me explain what I mean by that. It's not simply giving our children a name that they go by. My parents named me Eric, and in some ways that's influenced my life. It would be different if my name was Hawk or something like that. I might have had a different trajectory in my life, but could have been cool. Talon, that's a fun name. But <laughs> now I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Stage name. If they name me Vanilla. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But it goes beyond just the name that our parents give us. The words, the very words that we speak are powerful. James says that the the, the tongue has the power of life and death in it. And there's a lot of people who are going to say a lot of things to your children growing up. There's a lot of people who have said a lot of things to you. And by the way, this isn't just for fathers this morning. Because each of us, as Ken pointed out, have fathers. And we have each been influenced, for better or for worse, by the men who held the name Father. And by the way, not every man who gives 13 chromosomes to a child knows how to be a father. Many of the men that are called dad don't understand what it takes. Mature men are men who understand that they are men with responsibility. 
and they are willing to accept that responsibility. And this doesn't come chrono- with chronological age. You can be mature at 16 or you can be mature at 40. I wouldn't suggest it's probably not as likely at 16. But you can be mature at any point where you, res- where you recognize the responsibilities that are being handed to you and you accept them, you embrace them. So a father is not simply the person who gives away chromosomes to a child. A father is the man, whether biological or not, who accepts the responsibility of raising up that child, of investing in that child, of loving that child, and modeling for him or her, recognizing that his time is not solely his own anymore. And there are a lot of men who have not embraced that. They're not really finished being kids themselves. They're still focused on their own needs and and almost resent the demands of their children, resent the fact that their time is not their own anymore, that their wife is not fully their own anymore. And some men, rather than leading, will choose to domineer or disappear, will choose to say it's my way or the highway and that's the only way they lead and lead with an iron fist or check out and choose to, to... pour themselves into their work or into a hobby or into the couch to watch television or into the bottom of a bottle. Some men who are called father but don't fully understand both the opportunity and the responsibility either choose to lead with an iron fist and domineer or simply to disappear. And I see that even in myself sometimes. But here's the thing, going back to the fact that we have the opportunity and the responsibility to name our children. The words and our actions speak so loudly into our children's lives. There is something about the men that we call dad that every single person, regardless of the type of relationship we have, almost every single person I met hungers for the affirmation of their father. Throughout the Old Testament, we see time and again father's blessing their children, laying on a hands. So you, you might think of Isaac. You've got Jacob and Esau. I'm sorry, yeah, Jacob and Esau, who are almost like fighting over their father's blessing. And Jacob, being kind of a, a conniving little guy, goes in and he literally steals his older brother Esau's blessing from his father, pretends to be his older brother because his father's losing his vision. And he steals the blessing that Isaac prays over his son. And when Esau comes in and finds out that his little brother has stolen his blessing, he's like, Dad, bless me too. Isn't there enough? Bless me. Jesus is this visceral hunger to hear, tell me who I am. Tell me I'm okay. I see no stronger blessing in all of Scripture than the one that takes place on the day that Jesus Christ was baptized. Remember that? He goes into the water. And when he comes up, the skies open up. And I'm going to be quoting from the, the book of Mark here, although it's found in all, three of, uh, all of the, the Gospels. He comes up out of the water. The skies open up. The Holy Spirit kind of descends like a dove and alights on him. And we hear the Father speaking words of blessing and affirmation over his son. You are my son whom I love. And with you I am well pleased. I mean, can you imagine hearing that from God, let alone from your own father? There are some of you who have heard that from your fathers. Have heard, I love you. I'm proud of you. I respect you. I am so grateful you're my son. I'm so grateful you're my daughter. And those are the kind of words 
that stick with us. There's others of us who haven't heard those things. And here's the thing. In Jesus' case, those words spoken over him were timely because that took place right before the Spirit then leads him into the wilderness for a time of about 40 days where he spends fasting and praying. And during that time, the enemy, Satan, comes and tries to undermine what God has just done. And one of the ways he seeks to undermine this is he takes him up to the top of the temple and he he brings him to the edge of the temple. And as he's kind of staring over the edge, Satan goes, if you really are who he says you are, if you really are the son of God, then jump, prove it. Because scripture does say that the angels won't even let the Messiah strike a heel against the stone. So jump and prove that you are who he says you are. And Jesus, understanding the full testimony of Scripture, counters with, yeah, but it also says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And so in that way, he deflects Satan's temptation. But here's the point. Satan recognizes the power of that affirmation. And he seeks to undermine it. And the same thing happens in our lives. We desire, I'll speak for myself, I desire and have desired, To hear my father say, I am proud of you. I love you. I am grateful you're my son. And for a season of my life, that was in question. I knew my dad loved me growing up. But there was a part of me that was never fully sure that he was proud of me. In fact, there were words that had been spoken almost flippantly earlier on in my life that he meant very little by that actually had found a a place in my heart and had started to define me started to define the way that i viewed myself one of those words i know i've shared this with you before we were down in mexico i had a football in my hand there were a bunch of people sitting around a campfire and i thought it'd be a great idea to throw the football right into the middle of the campfire people and i smacked somebody on the head with it i don't remember who i hit but i do remember how my father responded kind of shakes his head and says i'll be driving you to college Basically suggesting you'll never be entrusted with a license because you are just that impulsive. And at that point, I, I absolutely was. And there's a little bit of that, Eric, left in me still, as some of you are aware of. That's not fully gone. But that stuck with me. I knew my dad loves me, I could say. But I'm not really sure. And I would never at that point have been able to articulate this. But deep down underneath, there was always the question, am I good enough? Is he proud of me? Does he respect me? And so I found myself trying to do anything and everything to earn my father's approval. I looked at him and I said, well, I will become what I think he wants me to be so that he will accept me. So he's a really hard, stoic worker. I will become a really hard, stoic worker. He's mature. I'll be mature. I remember saying this in fifth grade, thinking to myself as I'm out on the playground, I have to be mature. I have to be mature. It was just something innate in me. I remember reading thousand-page biographies of dead guys like Winston Churchill simply because my dad read them. And I wanted to have something that we could talk about. And here's the reality. When we don't feel like we are accepted, when we don't have those words to hold on to, we go seeking them out from other people, don't we? We go looking to other people to fill those gaping holes in our lives. We, I would become a social chameleon. 
and go from person to person and basically try to discern, what do you want me to be? I will become that so that you will accept me. I'll be whatever you want so that you will accept who I am, so that I will be somebody. And in other words, I was giving other people the right to define me. It's interesting, speaking of Winston Churchill, I ran across a a vignette of his life that I find so fitting. Winston was 12 years old when his father, Lord Randolph Churchill, became the Chancellor of the Exchequer, which is a really high position in British Parliament. At this time, Winston was in um, boarding school. He didn't really have a close relationship with his dad, but they have a letter that he wrote to his dad basically saying this, Father, if when you're in the area you can come visit me, I'd really like that. But his dad never came. Not only were they not close, but the responsibility that he had as the Chancellor of the Exchequer was a very big one, and so he never really had or made the time to come visit his son in boarding school. Fast forward 38 years. His father now has been dead for 24 years. Winston Churchill is 50 years old, and he is given the position of Chancellor of the Exchequer, the same role that his father held some 38 years previously. And as they were bringing the the ceremonial robes forward to to robe him for his position, he goes, don't worry about it, I brought my own robes. And he turns around to his assistant, and he opens this box, and he pulls out his dad's old robes the same ones he wore in that position. And as he's putting them on, historians tell us he turned to his assistant and said, maybe now I've done something that would make my father proud. This leader of men is still haunted by the question, am I good enough? Do I amount to something? Is my daddy proud of me? And I wonder how many of us are haunted by the same question. I wonder how many of us walk around with the dusty robes of our parents' expectations, of our father's expectations, whether they were spoken or we just are interpreting them as their expectations. They've almost become our own internal force of driving us. I wonder how many of us have pursued careers because we thought our our fathers would approve. I almost went into law because my dad was an attorney and it just seemed natural. So I started actually working at a law firm and I realized this is not what I'm cut out for. (laughs) I wonder how many of us have pursued relationships with people because we felt that those people could somehow speak into the emptiness that we felt in our core because of the insecurity that we felt. And as you follow the trail of that insecurity, it leads back to dad. And the desire to hear, you are enough. I love you. You are my son. You are my daughter. And, and just calling you my baby is, brings me pleasure. I wonder how many of us have pursued different things. Either to try to somehow, even though it might be subconscious, to to somehow try to earn our father's approval or to spite that man who held the term father, held the title. He, He expects this, I'm doing just the opposite. Either way, our fathers are influencing our actions. And I suspect that there are a lot of us in here this morning, whether we're 15 or we're 50 or we're much older than that, 
who are still haunted by the question, am I enough? And are still seeking to define ourselves by some unspoken expectations that we've now internalized and we have become our own slave masters. And there are a couple thoughts this morning. For those of us who are fathers, my challenge to us is to remember the responsibility and the opportunity that God has entrusted to us. He has entrusted His children into our care. And we have a responsibility and an opportunity to shape their view of the world, to shape their view of themselves even to influence their perspective of the Father. Please cultivate your own relationship with God so that you're not trying to to parent them by your own strength. And I speak to myself when I say that. Please recognize the gravity of the words that you speak. You have no idea the weight of your words, for better or for worse. And if there are things that you have said in anger or in apathy and it is within your power to rectify it, may I challenge you strongly to do so. Make a phone call. Don't let this day pass without you making that phone call. If there are things left unsaid, maybe you weren't raised in a family that said, I love you, I'm proud of you. And you don't know if you ha- if said that, or even if you said it a hundred times. Don't let the day pass without speaking words of affirmation and blessing over your children. You have no idea, or maybe you do, the power of those words. Bless your children. And children, bless your parents. Because we have the ability to speak. This morning, my boy... It was like 4 o'clock in the morning, which was not fun. Parenting. And I go up because Grayson learned last night how to crawl out of the crib. So I'm like staying in the room to make sure he stays there. And Ethan at one point kind of wakes up and he goes, Daddy, hold my hand. I'm like, huh? Hold my hand, Daddy. I can't understand you. Hold my hand. Melt inside. It's like you had me at hold. You know, I mean, it's like whatever you want right now. You want to drive the car? Sure. You're my boy. Here we go. You know, and I just, I, I sat there until my arm went numb holding that boy's hand because it's, oh, you guys know, you know how quickly this time passes. Don't let the days slip by. I know it as parents, the days are, 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 are tremendously long, but the years are short. Do not, do not let this time pass without taking full intentionality with it. Make the most of every day. We're going to do it imperfectly. We're going to get distracted. But please, and I speak to myself, be present with your kids. You have no idea the influence you have over them. For those of us who recognize in ourselves kind of we are Winston. We have been walking around in the dusty robes of our father's expectations, trying desperately to live up to what we think he wanted us to be, to be enough. May I simply remind us that we are sons and daughters of a God who loves us in ways that we may never be able to fully fathom. We do not have a father in heaven 
who, like some of our dads, sits with arms crossed just waiting for us to screw up so that he can punish us. We don't have a Father in heaven who sits back waiting for us to do something good enough to warrant his love. Our Father's love is not contingent upon our actions. He loved us so much that even though we were still in rebellious sin against him, he came in the form of Jesus Christ in the form of a human being and took upon himself the penalty that was due us. He took the first step because he loves us that much. And Jesus, in defining what the father was like, told the parable of a prodigal son. A son who basically said, Dad, I want my money now. I don't even want to wait till you're dead. Give me my inheritance now slapping his father in the face in a way and left and he blew it on a lifestyle that would make all of us blush and when it was gone he goes well maybe i can go back home and be a servant because they live a lot better than i do and rather than the father standing in this story that jesus is telling about the father in heaven rather than the father standing on the porch just waiting for his son to come up so he can now return the favor and slap him in the face and say get out of here i don't even know you when this father even catches the first glimpse of his son coming over the rise he hitches up his robes which is a very uncharacteristic thing for a man to do and he runs to his boy and he grabs him in his arms and he hugs him and he just i'm so grateful my boy is my baby is home and then he throws a party that is the love that our father has for us it may be very different from what your experience is with your earthly father. I hope that it's very similar. But the reality is you have a father that loves you more than you can fathom. So in closing this morning, I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come up, but I simply want to read, I want to read a, a, what I would call a love letter from our father. This is taken completely from scripture. For every single thing I'm going to say is backed up and is taken directly from a verse in the Bible. So if you would, just close your eyes right now, and I want to read this love letter from your father to you. My child, you may not know me, but I know everything about you. I know when you sit down and when you rise up. I am familiar with all of your ways, for you were made in my image. In me, you live and move and have your being because you're my offspring. And I knew you even before you were conceived. I chose you when I planned creation. You are not a mistake. You are not an accident. For every single one of your days are written in my book of life. I determined the exact time of your birth and when you would live. I knit you together in your mother's womb and brought you forth on the day you were born. I even know the numbers of hairs on your head. Now I've been misinterpreted by those who don't know me. I am not distant and angry, but I am the complete expression of love. And it's my desire to lavish my love on you. Simply because you're my child and I'm your father. Now I offer you more than your earthly father ever could, for I am a perfect father. And every good and every good gift that you receive comes from my hand. For I'm your provider and I meet all of your needs. I love you with an everlasting love. My thoughts towards you are countless as the sand on the seashore. And I rejoice over you. If you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. Delight in me and I will give you the desires of your heart. 
for it is I who give you those desires. I'm able to do more than you could ever possibly imagine, for I am your greatest encourager. I'm also the Father who comforts you in your time of troubles. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart. And when you're brokenhearted, I'm close to you. One day, I promise I will wipe away every tear from your eyes and I will take away all the pain that you have and are suffering here on earth. I am your father and I love you even as I love my son Jesus because it's in Jesus that my love for you is revealed. He is the exact representation of me and he came to demonstrate that I am for you, not against you. He came to tell you that I am not counting up your sins. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled to one another. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. I gave up everything I loved that I might gain your love. If you received my gift of my son Jesus, then you receive me. And nothing will ever separate you from my love again. So come home and I'll throw you the biggest party heaven has ever seen. I have always been father. I will always be father. My question is, will you be my child? I'm waiting for you. Love your dad, almighty God. I have copies of this along with all the corresponding verses on the back. So if if you'd like one as you leave, just grab one. But let's just spend some time worshiping our father, giving thanks that we get to be called his sons and daughters.